Thank you for joining us today. We hope God speaks to you. We hope dreams come alive and faith is ignited so you can impact the world and those around you for God's kingdom. Enjoy the message. All right, City Place. Are you excited to be in God's house? Again, welcome to City Place Church. My name is Damon. If you haven't had an opportunity to do uh, download your, uh, your message notes, go ahead and do that right now, cityplacechurch.com backslash notes. And just say hello for those of you who are watching on whatever platform, Facebook, YouTube, or the City Place website. Uh, go ahead and say hello to every single person out there. I just want to say thank you to the production team that uh, every single week they are engaging with you and posting the notes. Uh, can you just celebrate them right now? Because they serve... Uh, some are serving out of state, some are serving at home and uh, worshiping with you and, and not uh, in our in-person service. And so just give them a quick shout out for all that you do. Thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, you're going to need your Bibles today. Get those Bibles in your hands. Go ahead. We are, uh, we are bringing honor back to the Word of God. We kicked off a series last week called Running Through the Bible, just it's part of our focus for the summer where we said that we are going to refresh, we're going to refocus, and we're going to reload. And so uh, shout out to everybody who's ready for the word. So I want you to just get your heart ready, grab your Bible. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. And uh, you may have heard that we're going to be collecting shoes uh, on Jan uh, July the 17th. So we want you to bring your shoes, bring your kicks. Uh, we're going to be donating them. Uh, to a local uh, mission that is focused on uh, homeless individuals and young adults. And so we just told them we'll bring in some belts and we'll bring in some shoes. And so wear your flip-flops on flip-flop Sunday, July 17th. Uh, let's go to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. It says this. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we come around your word, Holy Spirit, we thank you that it is alive. We thank you that we get to lean in to your word today. Change us completely. Let us honor your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we kicked off our series, Run Through the Bible, and we said that the word of God is to dwell in us, remain fixed in us richly to a place where it overflows to where we, we are coveting the word of God and valuing it at full capacity. We said the reason why we want the word of God to dwell in us richly is because this is not just a book. The Bible actually means book. The Bible actually means book, but it's holy. And when we uh, lean into the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit allows the word of God to come alive. The Bible is alive. And we gave some thoughts last week. We said in Hebrews chapter four that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible is alive. This is God's word. And I pray for those of you who uh, we're here last week. I pray that you studied Psalms 119 and you highlighted thy word. And for those of you who are hanging out for the very first time, 
we're focusing on God's word. We, we, we decided that we want to lean into God's word, the truth of God's word, so that we can know all that he wants to say to us and all that he says about us because the word of God is living. And we said three things about the word of God being alive. We said that faith activates the word. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So our faith is gonna activate the word of God. We said that revelation activates faith. We talked about when uh, the angel visited Mary and he said, hey, you're, you're pregnant with a child. But he didn't just leave it there. He said, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you and the power of the Most High is gonna overtake you. And you are carrying the Son of God and he is going to change the world. So it was her revelation that activated her faith because her next words were, if you tell me that the words that you say don't fail, then let every word that you say be accomplished in my life. And so we said that revelation activates faith. Then we said that meditation activates that revelation. Joshua in Joshua chapter one has a conversation with God and God says, listen, the book of the law, the words that I speak to you, do not let them depart from your mouth, but you meditate, you sit in those, dwell in those day and night. Because if you observe to do everything that's written in it, you'll make your way prosperous and you'll experience great success. So we said that meditation activates the word. And so we leaned in as we were wrapping up our service. We spent the last few moments of our service, about 20 minutes of our service, focusing on this thought that we want to develop honor for the word of God. We want to develop honor for the word. And so here's how we're going to do that. Number one, we must accept the authority and truth by faith. So if we're going to develop, develop honor, we accept that everything that is written in Scripture is true and it's the authority for my life. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. He breathed it. He declared it and it's useful and it equips you and I for every good work. So you and I must accept its truth and its authority by faith. Number two, we said that we have to assimilate the truth of God's word to our life. And here's what assimilate mean. And I'm just taking us back to take us forward so that we can all be caught up as we go forward this week. Assimilate means to take into mind thoroughly understand, to take in and to utilize as nourishment, to absorb into the system, to absorb into the cultural tradition of a popular population or group. Assimilate. We have to assimilate it into our lives. Here's what Psalms 119 verse 9 says. How can a young man cleanse his, cleanse his way? By taking heed to your word. Verse 11 says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The writer there says, your word I have taken as truth and authority and I am going to allow it to guide my life. I am going to hide it in my life because when I assimilate it in my life as nourishment into my thought process, into who I am, into my people group, your word leads me to the place to where I am not going to miss that. I value your word that much that I hide it in my heart. I meditate on it. I sit in it. 
because I realize the authority and the truth of your word will lead me in the direction that I need to go. So the truth of God's word must be assimilated into our life. And here's where we're going to go further than we did last week. We said, well, if we accept the word as true and authority, we assimilate it into our life. Well, how do we do that? The first thing that we said last week is that we have to read God's word. We have to read God's word. Matthew chapter four, verse four in the new uh, NIV says this. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we're going to get real practical today. All right. You're going to take a lot of notes for those of you who are like, oh, Pastor Damon, why are we going over this? Listen, this is our summer of refocusing, refreshing and reloading. We're going back to the place where the word of God is a place of honor. This is not a, just a, this is not just words on a page. This is God's words to us and they are alive. And so we're getting real, real practical today. So if we're going to assimilate it into our life, we have to read God's word. So here's what I want you to do. Write these things down. Write these things down. I want you to get a paper Bible. I said this some of, some of this last week and I said that I talk more about it this week, but I want you to get a paper Bible. I want you to get a paper Bible, something that you can mark up, something that you can journey through. And here's why is technology is good. I've got look, I'm, I've got my iPad with me today. It's got my notes. It's got some scriptures on here. But there's something about paper that allows me to highlight and document what God says to me as I'm taking the journey. And then as you course through your relationship with God through time, you can look back and say, man, God spoke to me here and this is what he said or this is what God illuminated and the Holy Spirit spoke to me here. And so I want you to get a paper Bible. Now let's get practical. There's there's translations that you and I can grab hold of to where we can read. And 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 I was listening to to some pastors and I and I was and I was listening to them talk about the practicality of of God's word. And, 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 and they said something that I thought, that's 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 awesome. That makes it so plain. So let me give you just some perspectives on translations. How do, how, do, how do I pick the translation? Because there's so many. You and I have the luxury of having a large number of translations for us today. Now, there are other languages in the world that don't have as many gospel translations as you and I may have. So here's, here, here, let's write this down. Write this down. Write this down. This is practical. Just so we know, when it comes to translations, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was translated from Greek, Aramaic and Hebrew into English. And so here's three categories that you can put the translation so that when you're trying to figure out how do I pick which one? Write this down. Think of think of the first category of of translations as formal, formal. This is the original King James Version style writing. The original King James was written in 1611. Okay. So translated from Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew into English, which you and I have an opportunity to read today. So here's so let's look at the formal. This would be the original word for word translation or as close as possible. This would be your King James Version, New King James Version, the New American Standard or the English Standard Version. The second category would be functional. This is thought for thought, not exactly word for word, but it's thought for thought. All are coming from the original text of scripture, the original text, just thought for thought. And this would be uh, 
the New Living Translation or the NIV. The NIV actually combines a functional and a formal, okay? And then the last category of translation would be a paraphrase. This does not use the original, but it takes from the English translations and it's made easier. So that version would be like the Living Bible or the, or the Message Bible. And literally this translation was written so that kids could read it, so that it could be easily understood because when you see something like a formal translation, the King James Version is written with these and thou's because of the, the English language that it was originally written in. And so I know that seems like a little, we're more like academic today, but sometimes when you see so many translations, you go, well, which one do I start with? Well, let's just put them into three simple categories. We are thinking of formal King James or new King James. We're thinking of functional New Living or NIV or the paraphrase, which is the ones who have taken from the English translations and just brought them into simpler language. Okay, now all of them, all of them are translations of the Word of God, not diluted, taken from original text so that you and I can understand God's Word clearly. So let me give you an example. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. We're going to put it on the screen. I'm going to give you an example of how the verses are formal, functional, and paraphrase. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, verse 4 says this in the King James Version. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. Now that word there, charity, in the original, uh, when you look it up, in the original text, it comes from the word agape, which is the unconditional God kind of love. And so when it's originally written, they say, charity suffereth, suffereth long, which means it's like patient. Now go to a more form of functional translation in the NIV. This is how it says, same verse. Look at how it's brought, being brought down into simpler understanding. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Thought for thought. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is proud. Now take a look at the message where it's, it's brought, made even simple. It says this so that even a kid can understand. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it wants to have, what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head. So see, when we're grabbing scripture and we're leaning into God's word and we want to read, we want to find a translation that we enjoy. Now, I would encourage you to start with, with something that's, you know, functional or formal so that you can get as close to the original as possible. And then you can blend in some of the messages. Like I like to I like to look at multiples as I'm studying God's word, because sometimes I just want to look at the simple, the simplest way to understand God's word. Are y'all with me? So why do we want to read God's word? Why do we want to 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 try to assimilate it to our life? Here's the reason why is because we want to make sure that everything that God has for us, we clearly understand. So we want to find find a version of God's word that we enjoy that will allow us to hear God clearly. So after you find the version that you want, here's what I want you to do. I want you to set aside. You got a paper Bible. You find the translation. I want you to set aside time to read God's word. Set aside time to read God's word. Morning time, 
is a great time. You got a lot of energy, you're fresh. You can say, God, speak to me this morning, but morning time. So set aside time to read God's word. And then what you do is, is find a reading plan that's simple. So you can go on the YouVersion Bible app. And so you found your translation. They've got translations on there that, that, that you can follow along. They've got studies and just start reading God's word on a consistent basis. Now, remember, the word of God is alive, but we have to invite the Holy Spirit into these times so that we can have an amazing time. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter six, verse 63. He says, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Every moment that we spend time in God's word, there's something that Jesus wants to say to you and to I. So we read God's word to assimilate into our life. And then number two, we study God's word. We said this last week. Now we're just going in, we're just pushing it a little bit deeper so that we're not just staying at the surface. We're refreshing, we're refreshing. So we want to study God's word. John chapter five says this, you study these scriptures diligently because you think that you will have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify of me. So Jesus says, listen, study the scriptures to find me. You're not studying scriptures to find eternal life. I am your focus. So when we study, we're studying the word to find Jesus. We're studying the word to find Jesus. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, read it last week. It says, for Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to the teaching of its decrees to the people of Israel. So you and I have to focus our attention and commit our heart to say, God, I'm going to learn everything that you have that you want to show me. So we have to position ourselves to study the word of God to find Jesus in the word. So now let's take a journey. So we're going to choose to assimilate it into our life. We're going we're gonna to read God's word. We're going to start to study God's word. But now let's spend some time in focusing on understanding God's word. Old school Bible class this morning. Not a lot of hype and circumstance and preaching and all those different things. Let's understand God's word. So write these down, write this down. <clears throat> and I will put up this, this on the screen. God's word was written over a period of 1600 years in over a dozen countries on three continents by 40 different people in three different languages. So they were written in Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. The Bible was written by poets, prophets, farmers, kings, soldiers, shepherds, princes, prince, priests, <clears throat> historians, fishermen, tax collectors, scholars, businessmen, and doctors. The Bible was written in caves, ships, places, prisons, and deserts with multiple authors or writers, sorry, multiple writers in multiple places. Here's a question that I was thinking about this week. And I'm sure that others have thought about when you think of translations and authors and writers of, of these books. Here's a question that I thought about. Well, how did they all come up with the same story without, a, without contradiction? How is it that the word of God is so living and alive and the stories that were told and the verses that we read and the scriptures that we study? How is it that there is no contradiction? Here's the reason why. why. Write this down. There is only one author of the Bible. 
There's only one author of all of Scripture, and that's God. God used people in biblical days to tell his story with no contradiction. Come on, we, let, let's, let's go even more practical. Here's the reason why the Bible works and the Bible is life-giving is because the Bible is alive. The Bible is alive. That's the reason why it works. Without the presence of the Holy Spirit, without us leaning in and going, Jesus, I'm trying to find you. I'm not just trying to find some self-help. I'm trying to find you. The Bible is alive. Now, some may say, Pastor D, it's difficult to read the Bible. I don't, I don't, I'm trying, I don't even know the, the rhythm. Write this down. Let's get real practical again. There's 66 books of the Bible. 66 books of the Bible. Write that down. 66 books of the Bible. And the books of the Bible are categorized, but they're not categorized chronologically. So the writings are not categorized based on their chronological order. There is some, and you can go to the YouVersion Bible app, that will show you how Scripture intertwines in the correct place of time. But in its writing, it's not. It's, it's grouped together for simple understanding. And so the 66 books are grouped together. Here's how they group together. There's law books. There's five of those from Genesis to Deuteronomy. There's history books, which is Joshua all the way to Esther. There's poetry books from Job to which includes Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon. There's prophecy books. There's five major prophets, Isaiah to Daniel and 12 minor prophets, not because they were less in fame or impact. It's just that the major prophets are a little bit longer. Those books are a little bit longer and the minor prophets are a little bit shorter. And then when you get to the book of Malachi, there's a transition to the, the New Testament. But from that transition from the book of Malachi to the introduction of Matthew, there's a 400 years of silence. And this is where, where, you know, there's a Greek conquest and a Roman conquest and there's this silence. And then in Matthew, Jesus is brought into the scenes and that's the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And they share the story of Jesus walking on the earth. Same story, just four different accounts. Same story, just four different accounts about Jesus walking on the earth and his impact. And then when we get to the book of Acts, this is the historical record of the first church, the movement of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit to moving to where we are today. And then the epistles, 21 epistles. There's, these are letters to the church. These are, if, if there was like an intertwining, these, these things would be happening inside of what would be the book of Acts. It's kind of like the, the, the big story and we're playing one part of the story and it's us being able to see it in finer details. These are the letters. These are the epistles of what's happening while the church of Jesus is exploding. And then there's the book of Revelations. This is where the, the prophetic flows for the end of days and the return of Christ. And so there's this rhythm that happens in these categories of the book of the Bible. And so as we're reading and we are studying and we're finding Jesus, 
I'd like to say that Jesus is all throughout Scripture. And so what is the Bible all about? What is the Bible all about? I was, I was, I was, I was, I was preparing and uh, I was listening to one of my favorite uh, communicators. He's a pastor, uh, Pastor Chris Hodges. And uh, Pastor Chris Hodges was just talking about Scripture and uh, talking about just the flow of Scripture. And I was listening to him and he said something. He said, there's a mirror image. And you can find it. It's, it's in Scripture. There's a mirror image in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he says, and Jesus is all in the middle. Jesus is all in the middle. And I like that because you and I, sometimes if we're not careful, you can see the Old Testament as the first half of a book and the New Testament as the second half of a book. book. But then Jesus said, you're looking at Scripture through one lens. But if you're not careful, you'll miss me all the way through. And so Jesus is the center all through Scripture. Let me show it to you. Let me show you kind of like the mirror and the storyline of the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Genesis, we're introduced to God and his righteous people in paradise. Man, he creates Adam and Eve in paradise. They get to walk with the Father. They get to spend time with the Father. But then we're also introduced in that same book of the Old Testament, Satan and sin. They enter and if there's something that happens, whenever Satan enters a place and sin rests in a place, there's always going to be separation from God. Satan comes in and says, hey, I know you're living here, but there's something else that's, that, that I need to show you that's a lot more shiny that you should take a look at. And they begin to focus on something outside of where God really wanted them. And when they decided to follow the enemy's voice, it created a separation. Anytime there's sin present in your life or my life and the enemy enters and he has place to remain, he's going to always create separation between you and God because sin separates us from God's standard of living. So sin enters the world. Satan enters. And then God says, where this is headed, this isn't pleasing to me. And so God sees the, the, the wickedness of man rising and they're, 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 they're living outside of how he created them. And God gets frustrated in the Old Testament and says, absolutely not. And so the flood comes. Have you ever heard the story of Noah? The flood comes and there's the judgment of God and the world is destroyed. And then people rise up over time and they decide that they they don't want to live for God after God has sustained Noah and his family another group of people rise up and they're like we don't want to live under God's system we want our own system and so the Tower of Babel is 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 one in which they say we want to be our own leaders we want to be gods in our own sight we want to lead our own way and so there's this one world system that they're trying to create and then God in all of his sovereignty says, you know what? I'm going to raise up a group of people. I've got 12 tribes who I'm going to bestow my promise to again. And that's 12 tribes produce the people of Israel. And God said, you know what? These are going to be my holy people. This is where I'm placing my promise. The world is not going to be like this always. 
These people are going to be, they're going to rise up and they're going to be a movement of people who are going to display my love and who are going to display how much I'm passionate for them and who's going to display my promise. So God begins to pour his love and his promise into them. And so those 12 tribes, the people of Israel become God's holy people. The problem is, is that when God said, hey, this is my problem, my, my promise for you, and this is my provision for you, but this is my standard of living. The people only saw the external law. They only saw the external rules and order that God had and didn't see the father's heart. And so when we get to the end of uh, the book of of, of the Old Testament, we get to this place to where the people are still in this place to where the love of God is present, but they're still in this tension of following God with all of their heart. They're just focused on the rules versus focusing on God's heart. But in the middle of all of this is Jesus. Can you see this on the slide? In the middle of this is, is Jesus because Jesus is always at the center. Jesus has always been the focus from the beginning of time in the book of Genesis. When sin entered and Satan, Satan entered and man decided, Adam and Eve decided that they weren't going to live for God. When, 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 when there was a separation from God because of sin, God had already said, I'm sending Jesus. You can read it in Genesis. He says that there's someone coming who's going to bruise you with his heel. God had already been thinking about Jesus. Jesus actually said it. I read it to you a couple of times already. Jesus said, You've been reading about the law, thinking that it's going to bring you eternal life. But those scriptures that you read have all been talking about me. So when we transition from the first half of the book of God's word and we come into the New Testament. Jesus, who's already been the center, who's already been the focus. Now he becomes the main highlight. And Jesus's public ministry is to again Focus on rallying God's holy people. So he finds 12 disciples. I'm getting ready to close. He, gets, he finds 12 disciples and he begins to pour into them and he begins to tell them who they are in God. He begins to tell them the father's heart. He begins to share with them things like John chapter six or 63. The things that I shared with you, they are spirit and they are life. He begins to share with them the Holy Spirit whom the father will send in my name will be your comforter, will be your peace. He shares with them, listen, I am going to prepare a place for you. He shares with them, listen, keep the movement going. I am going to die. I am going to come back to life. I'm going to ascend to the Father, but I'm empowering you to be my witness on the earth. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit like we're doing today at our in-person service. He says, keep the movement going. Because you are God's holy people. In fact, in the New Testament, it says it like this. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people set forth to show forth the praises of him. So Jesus says, I'm establishing the father's order again. And this is where he begins to birth the promise of his church. And he says, disciples, go and make disciples and go and move the church forward. That's where we find the book of Acts. And so the Bible says that the, the, the book of Acts is the movement of the church where thousands are being 
saved daily and people are being filled with the Holy Spirit and miracles, signs and wonders and letters. The epistles are being written to say, make sure you stay with Jesus. Make sure this, this is the order of your home. Make sure that this is your movement towards Christ. Make sure that you don't follow the voices that are, that are, that are counterfeits. Make sure that you keep your focus on Jesus. Make sure you love this way and you give this way. Make sure that you focus on Jesus. But in the New Testament, we also see again that there's a system where people will try to lead on their own. The Bible actually says that people will rise up and be lovers of themselves. Why? Because there's always this tension between you and I and people to to want to lead on our own, but not be led by God or his word. And so there's another rising of the one, one world system, the government system that we read about in Revelations. It's the constant struggle of man trying to do it without God. And it's playing in the Old Testament and it's playing in the New Testament. But then this is where in Revelations chapter one, I'm sorry, in Revelations chapter 21, where in the Old Testament, the world was destroyed. Then again, in the New Testament, the world will be judged and destroyed. But Jesus is actually coming back. And the Bible says that he is coming back to establish a new heaven and a new earth. And that the sin and the enemy himself will be judged. But he has so much promise. Because watch now. As he is judging the world and the world is being set aside and sin is being removed. This time, sin And Satan will exit because Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back and Satan is removed and Satan is destroyed and sin is exited. God and redeemed people will remain in paradise. In the beginning, it was God and righteous people, people in right standing. And because of sin and because of that separation, God had Jesus at the center from time began. And because Jesus had the movement of the 12 disciples and said, you are reestablished as holy people. And because salvation is available to you and me and God's plan has always been to make sure that you and I are in relationship with him. When God sets aside the enemy, sets aside sin and it exits and Jesus is back. God and redeemed people, which means to be bought back will rule and reign in paradise. Thinking about paradise. You know, sometimes when people talk about heaven, they don't give heaven the credit that is due. They sometimes call it the afterlife. Yeah, I live in the afterlife. Well, what if this was the, the, the precursor to real life? Jesus said, everything that I speak give you spirit. They are spirit and they are life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and I came to give it to you more abundantly. Remember in one of the series, we said that the life that Jesus gives, gives you the life here on earth to live, but also he gives you the life that is through his blood, through his sacrifice, through his resurrection, that is life with the Father. When Jesus describes how he's going to prepare a place, he says that it is filled with amazing things. It's worshiping the Father all day. It's filled with beauty and it's filled with the presence of God. This is not some sort of afterlife. This is real life. And this is, ladies and gentlemen, the plot 
and the movement of God's word. It's a redeeming story. It's, it's a story where there was a struggle with sin, but then there was the redemption of Jesus. I realize this, and I want you to write this down, that the subject of the Bible is Jesus. Jesus said, all the scriptures point to me. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27, Jesus said, and, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning him. Jesus literally said, let's go back to the beginning in the Old Testament, and I'll show you how all of the scriptures were about myself. See, Jesus could see the plot of, from the beginning of time when it was God and righteous people in paradise, but sin and man wanting to be, us wanting to be our own leader and not wanting to do it with anything with God and that separation. But Jesus was always at the center to the place where Jesus said, it's the father and redeemed people back in paradise. See, Jesus is the subject, but the verb in scripture is give. Oh, love is definitely part of the verb, but John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, from the beginning of time, there was the love of the Father. See, when you and I are reading this book, love has always been here, but so has the generosity of the Father. When you and I messed up, when man messed up, God had an answer to make sure that we didn't stay separated. When we were trying to lead all our own, when you read it through scripture, when we tried to lead it all on our own and we tried to, to lead without God, God still says, hey, my grace is really sufficient. It's in the word. When Jesus came, he came to say all oh, the movement of salvation will never stop because God and the redeemed, have to be together. It's the promise of giving that's found in Scripture. So we will read, we will study God's Word, and then I want you to listen and apply as we assimilate these things to our life. So this week, I want you to take God's Word serious. I want you to get you a physical Bible. I want you to find a translation that you like. I want you to wake up in the morning ready to study God's word. I want you to wake up and I want you to find that study plan. And I want you to think about the fact that over these 66 books of scripture, that in the Old Testament, it's a mirrored image of the grace of God. God's whole heart is for you to be with, walking with him. But the journey of the story will take us through some ups and downs where you and I have to sit aside us trying to lead without God. But that's found in here where the enemy's trying to keep us separated, found in here. But then when we cross the pages, and you'll see even the grace of God in, in the Old Testament of like, oh man, he's so forgiving. He's so loving. And then it's mirrored right out the gate with Jesus gave his life for you and I. Right where you are, I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you because the Word of God is alive. And we're bringing honor back to the Word. We're refreshing, we're refocusing, and we're reloading. 
Our heart is that the word of God will become so alive. I know this was more academic than preach happy. I know that there were some things when we're talking about functional and formal. It's like, I can figure that out. No, but listen, we have to teach on these things so that the word of God is foundational in our life. If the subject of the word of God is Jesus, then I don't want to be searching for such other stuff. I don't want to be searching on, you know, this or that. I want to find Jesus in every scripture that I read. And if, if, if the verb is giving, I want to be able to see that he did give love. And if Jesus Christ gave his life for you and me, I want everything that he has to give. Right where you are, will you bow your heads and close your eyes for me? Bow your head and close your eyes. There's one more verse that I was thinking about. First John chapter three, verse 16. There's John three sixteen, and there's first John chapter three, verse 16. It says this, by this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Like, we know this type of love because Jesus gave his life for us. Right there where, you're, where you are, every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want to pray for you. The word of God says that Jesus died for you and he rose again for you. And I want to pray that you will accept the love that he's giving you. We are going to accept his truth. We're going to accept his authority and we're going to assimilate it into our life because it's nourishment, it's alive. And so right where you are, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you say, Damon, I don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, but I want one. I'm going to say a prayer and I just want you to pray this prayer after me. And the Bible says that Jesus comes and lives on the inside of your heart. Can you say this prayer? Say, dear Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I acknowledge your gift of salvation. And on this day, I choose you freely as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, city place. Come on, right where you are. Can you make some noise for Jesus right where you are? Can you make some noise? For Jesus. Here's a couple of quick next steps. I want you to fill out a virtual connect card, cityplacechurch.com backslash card, or you can text the word cityplace to 94000. Let us know the decision that you made. You can jump into uh, a city group. One is kicking off July the 11th online. It's an online city group where we're going to be studying God's word. The focus is strengthening our foundation. And so we want you to be able to, to grow in all that God has called you to be, and we don't want you to do it alone. So make sure you take those two next steps. Let us know the decision that you made and jump into a city group. Come on, City Place, can we give Jesus some praise? The final thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to worship the Lord with our giving. We're going to worship the Lord with our giving. You heard me mention it earlier before service that we, on July the 17th, are going to be uh, donating some shoes to our community and the way we are able to make an impact in our community is because you and I partner together by bringing God as an act of worship, our tithe and our offering. And so I'm going to get ready to pray as you give. Continue to lean in like never before. Sign up for that city group and be ready to be extremely generous with those kicks that you've got. And if you need a Bible, if you need a Bible, fill out that Send that word city place to 94000 and just put in the comment section that you need a Bible. We will send you a Bible. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for who you are. Thank you, Holy Spirit, 
for lives being changed. Thank you for the practical aspect to your word. Let us grow deep. Let us grow wide in who you are. Thank you for the authority and the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, City Place. Thanks so much for joining us. Stay connected by subscribing to the City Place Church podcast, following us on Instagram, checking us out on Facebook, or by visiting our website, www.cityplacechurch.com.